you're very welcome to Kicking Match, a podcast all about the Irish League. My name is Peter Cinnamon and this week we heard of some spooky reports emanating from Shamrock Park where some claim to have saw the ghost of their former manager in the hallway. That's of course until Nal Curry all of a sudden became their new manager again and decided his Halloween treat for the team was a couple of more laps around the pitch. Yes, the postman is back but will he deliver or will he do what most parents on leave this half-term are up to? Chilling out, not doing very much as their co workers do most of the work for them, otherwise known as pulling an arm carry. Those who believe that joke might need reviewed, tough luck, VAR light is still a few years away, but sure, let's wildly speculate with a sparse amount of details anyway, shall we? The Irish League is famous for being very receptive to new ideas, so I doubt there'll be any drama there. More news than usual this week could make for a rather tasty pod. We'll do our best to chat through all the things that you've been talking about all week and perhaps brand new arguments and dramas can start right here. I feel like this pod has been on a really good form recently since I got back from my international break and uh, I appreciate all the new people that have joined in and are listening and in the vein of that I've got a brand new face in on the pod tonight. He is probably a face that you have seen and have followed before. Could he be the Irish League's first ever influencer? He is definitely able to lay a claim to being the league's first ever vlogger. He is the biggest internet sensation to come out of Coleraine since Leon Knight. It's the artist formerly known as Picky Bansider. All right, calm down, Peter. Like, (laughs) influencer, my goodness. Do you feel that? Because that's that's like a catch-all term that people put into anybody that does stuff online, social media. YouTube's your big platform. You're a big man on Twitter. You've entered a new world over the past year and a bit, really, haven't you? I have, and I probably wouldn't have done it if I realised where we'd end up. And I don't mean that in the, the good parts, I mean the bad parts. I never sort of prepared myself for being controversial and annoying people. How do you find that? Because I, I've seen it online. It feels like everybody's got a really strong opinion of you one way or the other as much as it's good crack and you get involved in people and the drama can be fun does it sometimes frustrate you a bit does it sometimes get at Peter, you the truth of the matter is i've spent quite a lot of time away from social media in the last two or three months you know i've sort of had periods where i'm solid on it and then other times i just sort of disappear into the background because things do get to me i'm sure this is a story that you've told numerous times but bring us back first day first vlog deciding to give it a go was was there a certain moment like i often think about this in regards to what can be that one thing that sparks everything off you know you look at your man true geordie and and how he's been able to build this big media empire and it all starts from him getting really annoyed about nal ranger and doing a big video about that i i doubt when you did your first video it was like i'm going to start a media empire but the first time was it just you wanted to cover a match you want to do something with your son what made you get the camera out and start filming that day right that this is the truth and i've, I've said this a few times before covid kicked then i'd started taking washing the games taking the korean games the first game we went to was korean against arge on a cold i think it was november in 2018 rod mcarie was in charge and kearney had left mcarie's in charge and i took him up to the showgrounds it was freezing there's about 800 people there Korean won one now at Jamie McGonagall goal. So that was, that was the first game. And took photos of us at the game. You know, we're, we're there and I'm holding them all that there and we're freezing. 
so as the season went on, we were going to the games, home games, and then the next season, Kearney comes back, and we did the same, and then we started doing away games. Then COVID struck, and we had nothing. So we started sitting in the house watching the games and that there, and watching them dodgy streams. And when we got the opportunity to go back to football, I thought, instead of having a photo of us at a game, I'm going to do a video of us going to the game. Now, I'm not lying again when I say this here, because it sounds like I am. I'd never seen a football vlog in my life. I didn't know they existed. So we did the first video, and um, loads of people watched it. first video had like something like 2,000 views in the first week. And that was the way to learn. That's amazing. That, like, even then, first one. And, and it all Incredible. came about, you know, because of, of, of Twitter interactions with people, you know, because before we were we were doing that, you know, I was active on Twitter and, you know, we would have communicated a lot with, with, with sort of different fans and stuff. And a lot of it would have been a bit of slabbering, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, you know yourself, there's a good fan base on Twitter of Irish League. And some of the communication you have and... and exchanges are very good natured and at times interesting so that helped to sort of get an instant fan i don't even want to call it fan base an instant following for for it so it led on from that there really and then i talked to somebody in scotland i'd started watching vlogs by then and there's a fella in scotland who does celtic ones called juddy and i um i private messaged him and he messaged me back and he says Ignore them. He says, you know what will happen? He says, you keep doing what you're doing and your vo- your vlog will blow up. He says, like, you're the only person doing it in the Irish League. He says, like, nobody else, you know, is going to get near you. He says, why don't you do things sort of concerning the whole Irish League? And it sort of led on from that there a bit. Um, but then I didn't go to any other games until the County Antrim Shield final. So it was Linfield and Lorne, and I got a ticket in the Lorne end. And I went to a game and I really enjoyed it. No, I, I didn't enjoy Korean games. You don't enjoy your own team. Your own team break your heart. So I went to this game. Two teams I didn't give a crap about. didn't care who won the match. And I was like, this is really good, and I enjoyed it. So then I saw, from there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start going to different matches. I knew the League of Ireland was starting. I was like, I'll go to League of Ireland. And it's just sort of went from all that. There's like loads of stuff I want to get into. We had Barry Flynn on last week and everyone, if you listen to that, you could hear we kind of got into all the crack about him getting into match reporting on the radio. And there's definitely loads of bits and pieces that I want to get into later on in the podcast, particularly about gatekeepers in the league, what it means to be online right now, kind of the future of the league. But we'll get into the meat and potato of this and the games that happened this weekend past some whoppers and we'll start with the big game on friday three and a half thousand people filling out the oval in east belfast in a battle of the new bloods who have taken charge of the league this year and there was change in the air in that crisp october air and that change ended up being the team at the summit of the league and the question we all have now after a 4-0 win for Glentorn against Lorne, who is going to stop this Glentorn team this season? Because they are just white hot. Who's going to stop Glentorn? Mick McDermott. That's the thing about it. They've 
so many times before been the architects of their own downfall and i think we all came into this season thinking right can glenthorne put it together and what would that look like so far everything for them is looking amazing everything's smelling of roses and every time they go up to a big challenger be it linfield or Lorne, they're just swiping them away with ease 100 look we've said for the last couple of seasons Glentorn have had the best squad. Glentorn's problem is always that they self-destruct. This season, they started off like a, a house on fire. All their players are doing their jobs, playing well. And every week, I listen to your pod, and you always mention Wilson. Wilson at the back is just like, he's an absolute rock, isn't he? And, and Paddy McLean looks like a proper baller beside him. They're just on it. They'll have a dip. But when they have their dip, Will it be a big dip or will it be a blip? You know, if it's a blip, they'll win the league. It's as simple as that. Well, they've got such a, a massive lead. Now, particularly when you're being able to push away teams like Lorne and Linfield, who you would have pegged as teams that would be nipping at their heels if they were to be going on a charge towards the league. But so far this season, whatever it is, 11, 12 games for them, I don't think I've ever seen teams like them who are just in control. They start every game strong. They grow into the game as well. They're ruthless in their build-up play and attack. Every time you see them knocking the ball about, they're only just one neat little pass or one breakthrough from deep towards looking like they're going to create a killer chance. They have players all over the pitch who can hurt you either from midfield or from the back. They're mixing up their goals. Sometimes they're breaking through. Sometimes it's from a set piece. And the first goal on Friday night came from a set piece. It almost felt like a carbon copy if you look back at one of those early chances against Limfield where it comes in high from the right. Conor McMenamin's over it. He swings it with his left boot in. It goes across all the players rushing into the box. Against Limfield, McLean was there to knock it on to the post onto the crossbar this time round it didn't touch anybody it bounces and it goes straight into the goal and this is where the Lauren fans are saying mention the drama and of course the drama was only 10 minutes in as much as it didn't hit anybody was it an offside for me looking at it and you can tell slightly based on the camera because you only see so much but you can see all the Lauren players line up at the edge of the box and yes, some are teetering over to the left-hand side. But I thought Wilson was offside there. And the Lauren players were frustrated. They were all calling for it. But regardless, at that point, you have to move on. And I've talked about it on this pod numerous times. The last thing you want to do in these games, be it big top of the table games or a team where you're looking to try and catch Glen Torren. If you want to beat them, do not let them get a goal early. And regardless of the circumstances, Lauren did that. Surely, God, it can't be offside if nobody touches the ball. If a player's offside when the ball's fired in, you're still offside. I could be wrong here, but I thought the rule was, you know, if you don't touch the ball now, you're not doing anything. I mean, I, I might be Well, wrong I'm now starting there. to doubt myself as well, Piggy. We need to get... We're going to be talking about touching the ball and what that means later in the pod but we'll we'll, we'll call but that a draw the, the for reason there. why i say that is because there was a game on at the weekend i can't even mind who it was but the ball was crossed in and the fella it was crossed to was three yards offside but it never made it to him it was blocked and then it came out the edge of the box and somebody else put it in the back of the net and it, it was a goal but the initial cross the boy in the middle was offside but it didn't get to him 
if you're not interfering with play, you're not offside. If you're not touching the ball, are you interfering with play? I don't know. Well, we go- need to get Andrew Dean or someone on. <laughs> we're having journalists. We're having other podcasters on. Get their feels like referees that is the natural thing to be guests in this podcast but we'll go to a manager now this is via uh, the Lawrence media team Tiernan Lynch he was disappointed by the way his team played here's his assessment of the game I thought we were we were very much in the game and actually quite dominant first half um, second half we conceded goals that hasn't been like us all season I'm very conscious I don't want to make any excuses here for, for tonight but I, I thought it was a um, the flag went up. Linesman had apologised and said that he got it wrong. Um, some of the players said that, that that they'd stopped. I don't know what's right or what's wrong at this stage. Um, it was one that that I think could have been avoided. Obviously, taking Leroy Miller out of your team and the energy that Leroy gives you and the the, the physicality and that that probably made a difference to us. Although Shea done very well when he came on, but it was just it was just one of those nights. Um, it's not one that we want to watch too often. So he's saying there that he felt as though it probably shouldn't have counted. He also talks about one of the slight changing points in the game. Leroy Miller has to come off after a clash of heads. And to talk about Lauren, I don't really feel as though as much as at 4-0, I don't really believe that this was Lauren completely falling apart or being taken, taken apart. Yes, for almost every goal you can look back and go this was a bit soft defensively that should have been cleared stronger header there and Glentorn were sharp and clinical enough to punish them I feel like Lauren will come again but talking about their good points Leroy Miller what a player he is he's a big present huge force in that midfield and there was at times he threw himself about he could have got a goal at the far post when it came in and if he's out for any period of time, looks as though it's only stitches around the head, he will be one of the biggest losses for Lauren. Uh, Peter, he's their, he is their signing of the season, without doubt. He's he's just an absolute unit of a player. He's so fit. And there's no coincidence that Balmina are absolutely brutal this season with him not in their team. They don't have that energy in midfield, that box-to-box midfielder. The man's a god, so he is. I was thinking there during the week because I got a tweet from somebody, Dave Wiggins, asking what is it about this season where Linfield have slightly regressed and Lauren have, and Glen Torn have moved up? Is it the full-time football's made it even? Is it maybe the investment? And I think it all comes down to recruitment. You look at a player like Leroy Miller, perhaps as well, Winchester that goes to Crusaders and... I'm not saying if Linfield come in and, and sweep up two of the main players for Balamina, they would be challengers. But it feels as though they're the type of players that Linfield were sweeping up year on year. Quality players in the league who've experienced were going to Linfield. That was the final bit to start winning trophies. Glantorn and Lard, yes, they now have full-time football. Yes, they're clearly ready to invest. But that's the type, if you don't pick up those type of players, you will be falling behind. But we'll get on to the, the Linfield thing. Talking about a player who could be going somewhere if Paper Talk comes around. Yes, he was involved in all four of the goals for Glen Torn. McManaman looks like he is player of the year incumbent. He's the man sitting on the throne. Whatever he gets on the pitch, he's doing bits. I've seen very few players like him who's as dominant what are the things that you see that makes him so brilliant? Peter, I, I did another podcast back in 
well, must have been early summer. I I did say McManaman wasn't the best player in the Irish League. Yeah, that was a bit stupid, wasn't it? He didn't start off super strong. It was whatever it was in that Crusaders game, and that's like second game in. But he's growing into this this season more and more. When I watch him, sort of square up against the man, he he glides by him as if he's not there. It's like men against boys behind him playing. It's weird. It's like it's like me playing with, with the Wayans who who are on a, an under seven team, you know, knocking the ball past them and running on. That's what he's doing to grow a man. And he's also finishing. He's scoring goals. It's all around games class at the minute. He is just on it. And for him to be playing Irish League football, we should all be sort of happy that we get a witness a player like that there in the league on the form he's in. That he has the stature to be that wide player. He has the speed to be able to trouble the defenders. And if you look back on some of the goals, look, we talk about things you shouldn't do if you want to be Glentorn. If there's things you should not be doing if you're assigned to look after Conor McMenamin, do not let him swing back from the right-hand side onto his left foot. He will do damage there, and he did damage there to get balls into the box to get some of the goals. He picks up two goals there. He was a part of the other ones. And now there's talk. We lead into January. People asking the question. He didn't move in the summer. There was talk of Ipswich being interested. I don't want to be the party pooper or ages to say perhaps 27 is just on the edge of a player moving out of this league for the first time. Would you be surprised if he was not to be a part of this Glen Torn team at the end of the season? Or do you think he's the type of player that, that could be, despite the age thing, he could be out of fear sooner rather than later? Well, from a player's pers- perspective, if I was Conor McManaman and I had an opportunity to move over to England and play at a high level, I couldn't care less if the team was top of the league. If you're a footballer, you want to play at the highest level you can play. If you're Glen Torn, I think it's very stupid to let him go, though, because he is one of the reasons why they are absolutely flying high. Well, let's just say, what would the price be? Let's say in a world it's 200000 right? I'm just picking that up the top of my head because it's all about Europe, isn't it? Because if Glentorn get through one round, that's like 200000 by itself. So they have the contract. It's that weird balance where who's going to come in and pay enough money on a player unproven in the English league in the football league and who's willing to pay that amount of money where Glentorn goes yeah no worries it's it's a bit of standstill there isn't it despite how talented and brilliant he is he's shown in the international stage that he can mix it with full time professional players although that's not over the course of the season anytime he's put on a Northern Ireland shirt he does not look out of place and he looks better than some of the seasoned internationals that they have what an amazing story and he's the main man of Glentorn are sitting there with uh, red, green and black ribbons around that Gibson Cup. He's the one that should be right at the front of that bus going through East Belfast. An amazing player having an incredible season. What, what a player. And we pivot now to a team that is closer to your heart. Do you have... Some investment in probably the highest Portadown have been in this podcast so far in this run. It was Corian 4, Portadown 0. Big changes all round for Portadown, but the result and the performance very much stayed the same. Corian will hope this was their get-right game 
The only problem is the Mid-Ulster men aren't top six. Lee Lynch was pulsative and penetrating down the centre of the park. But let's talk about the goal of the game, Peaky. With only one Portadown player in the box to beat, that was some cracking header from Paddy McNally for that OG. I wasn't at the game on Saturday, but I watched the highlights back and I have no idea what he was doing. He literally challenged his own man. They put it into his own net. That, that's the thing about it. I, I do jest, and, I, and I'm not here for a pylon, but when you see the goals coming through on a Saturday in clips and bits, and you go, oh, right, the poor down concede, uh, Paddy McNally, and you look at it, and it, you almost go, what? hold on. There's no Korean player. The ball is whipped in from the corner by Lee Lynch, and it's just... We talk about the one thing you shouldn't do if you want to beat Glenn to order or stop Conor McManaman. Ported out, this is not the way you start the Curry revolution by conceding an OG, but perhaps when you're up for it and you're you're trying to kick on, these are just the, the things that are happening. Nothing seems to be going right for Ported out, and you look through all four of those goals, it's hard to say that Ported out, they could have done better for all of them, really. <laughs> what else can you say? I mean, that's that's the way it is we poured it down look I first seen Niall Curry back in I think it was about 2009 I was playing for Port Stewart at the time and I was on the bench and Curry was in charge of Loch Hall and we were away in Loch Hall and uh, as uh, when you're on the bench you sort of stare around and that there uh, I watched Niall Curry and he had a clipboard out and he had tactics on it and he was talking to his assistants and I was like my God, I like this man. So since like 2009, I've always followed Niall Curry because I looked and I seen somebody who looked like they knew what they were doing. Now, fast forward to the present day, he's been given the Port of Down job there, was it Monday or Tuesday? He's had one training session probably on Thursday night and then he meets Corian who are light years ahead of them. It was always going to be a four or five mil. Always. It's hard to argue that the it's like getting a a glass of water deep in the the biggest hangover of your life. Probably a lot of people after this weekend of Halloween can sympathize. One glass of water was never going to fix the issues there, and he comes in and he says that he needs to sort out issues with commitment. He needs to figure what personalities are going to step up. He even mentions that fitness was an issue with that team. He, he points out that he thought players were gasping after 60 minutes and we all knew whoever took over Porter Down, they were going to have a big job on their hands. I think now Curry now realises more than, than before what a difficult job he has. We haven't really got to talk about it on the pod. Of course, Paul Doolin was relieved of his duties on Tuesday night and then the worst-kept secret, it feels like, in Irish League football this year. Nal Curry is brought in within 24 hours. He leaves Dundalla after bringing them up last season. They were struggling against relegation. He brought them up. He was able to get scalps against Carrick and Crusaders. He even duffed Porter down in pre-season. And he returns to Portadown, a team he was with a few years ago. It didn't end very well that time. Could this be different? I watched an interview with him and he clearly believes and understands that last time it didn't go well. He's really reflected on that time. And you can see since he left Portadown, he's only been doing great things with, with Carrick and, and with Dondella. 
something needed to change at Portadown. One point after 11 games wasn't good enough. The performance on the pitch told you that the players were not going to do it. Something needed to change there. Looking through the possible candidates, and maybe we talked about it elsewhere in other formats, Picky, but there wasn't really many options for Portadown. But when you look at what they were probably writing down on a page saying, this is what we need our manager to be, Someone that could work well in the transfer market. Now Curry has a Redknapp-esque reputation for willing and dealing, bringing 10 players in, moving on 12. That's something that looks as though people are saying needs to happen there in mid-Ulster. He's someone that players seem to play for. You saw that character, you saw that Dundella recently. If this is not going to work out and Project Curry is going to be a, a year minimum, 18-month project, if Portadown were to have a manager up until the end of the season who then leaves the club after relegation, Nal Curry would be first name on your list, surely. He's, a, he's an expert at that. So right now, perhaps Curry is the right man at the right time for the right club because he seems to absolutely adore them, even though I don't know if that last run could have went any per for him. I think what Curry needs to do is and I'm sure he's already had this conversation with the board, he needs to make it to the transfer window and still be in touch with Dungannon and Atapush, Nure or whoever else is right down there. And I think he needs to spend the next sort of, you know, six to eight weeks getting the players fit and getting the buy into whatever way he's going to play tactically. Where do their points come from? They're not going to take points off the big teams. It's just not going to happen. They're so far away that it's not going to happen. He just has to hope that he can get the team ready for the games against Dungannon, the games against Balamina, the games against Nuri, and try and pick up some points. They have at least three games against Dungannon. They've got three games against Balamina. They'll have three games against Nuri, and they have four games against Carrick. And, of course, Glenavon, but that can be any derbies. It's a bit of a crapshoot, I'm sure. So that'll be the games they'll be aiming at. He starts with somewhat of a mini-revolution. I think I should highlight that he made five changes to Nal Curry against Coleraine. Four people came in to the side after not even being on the bench the week before. He played three centre-backs in that team. An 18-year-old starting up top for the first time. We don't know where Oshin Connolly is for that team. So you cannot judge based on that. Portdown fans will just have to trust the process he talks about how he needs to get these players to realise that uh, this is a big club uh, we will have to see. But let's actually go to a team that they are keeping a big eye on if you're a Portdown fan, and that's Dungannon. They welcomed Crusaders down to Tyrone. And hey, if you want to sound cool, kids, here's the name you want to know. Macaulay Snellgrove. He's the name that you need to start dropping into conversation. He's got two second names for a name. He sounds like some local politician somewhere. But he's making moves for this Crusaders team. And if there's a team so far in this league that you're thinking might be a bit of a dark horse, it's perhaps Crusaders. Because they are plodding along, getting wins against the lower teams the way they have to. They're sneakily having good results against the top teams. But we'll get on to them. Let's highlight on Dungannon because we are talking about Portadown there. What... As Dean Shields got to do here, his team saved two penalties and they never even looked like close to winning. Is he under threat at the minute? 
after a poor run of results. It has to be. Dungannon are... How, how do you even describe... Dean Shields wants Dungannon to be like man set or someone pass, pass, pass and create magical goals. But Dungannon can't score goals and they can't defend goals. He's... He, he won't change the way he plays. So to me, Dungannon are going to have to change their manager. A bit like the Bordeaux situation, isn't it? So if the players aren't working with your philosophy, you can't see it working. It's harder to change six players than it is to change one person. How how long can they keep on? Every game's the same for Dungannon. He doesn't try and mix it up. You know, he, he wants to pass it around at the back, no matter who he's playing. He did it against Korean and got absolutely embarrassed in the first time they played them this season. And he's done it countless times. The only teams that haven't punished them are the teams that are around them. You know, like Balamina last week getting the one-all. Uh, I don't know. I, I like his philosophy, but it doesn't work with Dungannon. It didn't work when Tiernan Lynch was doing it at Lawrence. So why does Dean Shields think that will work for him? I've talked in this podcast numerous times before about how they have people who could make a difference, Campbell, Mays. But even despite their troubles at the back, and it really does feel they have this weak centre that can be got at. You can see that from some of the goals. They concede within 20 seconds against Corey, and that's how you're supposed to recover from that. They have their moments of greatness when it comes to Nelson saving those two penalties, albeit those two penalties were dreadful from Crusaders. They were so poor after me hyping up Lecky. Poor penalty. Jonathan Rourke gets the second one. Nelson saves it. Let's give him his kudos. He, he saves two penalties. But Crusaders run away at 2-0 and now Dungannon are staring down the barrel of a rogue's gallery of fixtures this November alone. In fact, between now and Christmas, Dungannon only play three games against teams that you would clarify as last year's bottom six teams. They've got games against Newry, Carrick and Glenavon. There's so many games still to be played between now and Christmas. If Shea's going to turn around results and start getting points before Christmas, they're going to have to be shocks really, aren't they? And so far we're not seeing anything that suggests that could happen. Peter, I don't even think they've got a bad squad. They invested, didn't they? I just think that that Shields himself needs to go to himself, you know what, I'm going to make us hard to beat for a few weeks and then we can start playing more expansive football. Once we get the few points on the board and the confidence, you're not telling them they rip up his philosophy of football. Just just be a bit more pragmatic about it. You know, get the team in tight together. You know, like when they were against Korean, they were so open, it was unbelievable. And I can only really talk with Korean because that's the only time I've really seen them in the flesh. You don't have to rip it up. Just change it a wee bit and let the players who can make a difference make a difference. They're struggling up top as well. You're right about the investment. I look at that side and I go, this looks a lot better than where they are. But they're just struggling to stop goals. They're struggling to get goals. Two teams who did not struggle to get goals were Balamina and Glenavon on Friday night. This is just the bizarre, bonkers, blue derby. Whenever these two teams meet, it is never boring. Everybody complained. I saw his online saying, oh, why did they not stick on the Lauren Glentoran game on TV? Were you not entertained? Five goals, two penalties. One of them was missed 
The second half in particular, it felt like I was watching tennis at the net. It was just breakneck, back and forward, back and forward. Both of these teams proved they have this in their locker, both getting goals up top and also some dreadful defending. Could this be the sign that Glenavon are getting themselves back there, feeling their mojo, more pressure down on Balamina? And we probably should reflect on the news that their chairman, John Taggart, has stepped down from Balamina. He's moved on. One club that needs stability doesn't seem to be getting it right now. Balamina usually get rid of their managers. They've they've gone through more managers in the last 60 years than any other club. Um, their longest serving manager in that time is David Jeffries. So there is stability in one respect. But um, maybe the chairman, we don't know why he's left. Did he leave because he's had enough? Did he leave because there's no. pressure on him? We don't know. They've got a manager who's been there for six years now, I think. They've got a really good like infrastructure at the club, you know, the showgrounds. They've got a brand new 3G pitch to train on. Um, like They have got everything there to be a steady Irish League club, which they are. Is that a question for Balmina? Are they trying to get up to the next level or not? It doesn't look like they are. Their signings just look like they're trying to stay where they're at and maybe get a cup run. Best player left. They replaced him with David McDade, and David McDade will not replace Leroy Miller. You know, he's a totally different type of player. As you said earlier, there Winchester leaving in January to Crusaders. He was never really replaced. You know, they're not bringing in players as good to replace the players that are leaving, so they're never going to get better, are they? Perhaps they're stuck in this limbo where their young players aren't just ready to be worldies in this league and the, the older players, the likes of O'Neill and Redmond, are just a wee bit too old to bring this project up to, to where it needs to be. I'm not going to try and rewrite history. I thought this team had a bit more fight and a bit more physicality, and that was going to push them forward with this front line that was just going to score goals and all they needed to worry about was stopping it. But right now, it's the in-between where they're not making things happen and they're making big mistakes at the back. All right. This is, of course, saying to a man who they are able to beat your Coleraine in a bizarre game there, but that's just how derbies go. But if you're a Balamina fan, you'll look at that game and just go, this is just our season. We just can't stop the ball going in when we need to. And, of course, they miss a penalty. That's probably how they feel. Like Nothing's working for them, and they just don't have the quality to push on beyond this eighth place where they're hovering over now and Peter you know what I listened to your pod last week and you were talking about David Jeffrey on his birthday getting interviewed and it was his birthday on Friday night and they got fit it was not <laughs> uh, I wonder if Mr Flynn was interviewing him on Friday night <laughs> oh I, I can't believe that why did I not clock that is I, I should say something here about Glenavon because they were poor in the first half I thought but they came back into it and had that fight. We've seen this. They're a real blood and thunder team. It feels like they only really rise to the occasion when there's drama. Like if there's one team that you want to have, needing one goal to win something or get somewhere, it's Glenavon. They just have these men who are 
fast runners and you see that in the likes of, of Isaac Baird uh, and Jack Malone. Young players with fight and determination. They're like terriers, this team of Glenavon. And sometimes they're a bit too bitey, if I can keep my metaphor going. They've got a bit too much of that hot streak and, and vigour to their play. But when they're against it and when the lights are on, they come back and they fought back to win this game. And if I was Gary Hamilton, I would be wrapping Fitzpatrick up in Cottonwood because that's going to be the key part. They're going to have to work on, on stopping the goals. Wallace at left back is not the answer. Clearly, they're really missing Glenn in that position. You continue to develop this, this young midfield, get Snoddy in there more, get Garrett back pinging the crosses out to some of their wide men and they will be out and away from this bottom part of the table i i was starting to think they're letting so many goals in they're going to be dragged into this dungannon quagmire but a bit like carrick if you score the goals you're never going to be down there and they're moving up and beyond so perhaps after such a inconsistent and disappointing start to the season Perhaps Hamilton has got the motor running here. And I would strike me as your typical Irish league team. They're big, they're physical, but they've got them fast runners. They've got the big man they pump the ball up to. They've got the man who runs off them. Like they're proper old school Irish league, aren't they? They've got lots of personality. Sometimes you see teams and they all look as though... You can't tell what position they play because they've all got the same body type. With Glenavon, you can see who the strikers are. You see who the wingers are. You know exactly who the centre-back is. And there is that certain bit of old-schoolness to this team. I think you're absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. I did a wee video at the start of the season and Oshin says that Skinner was brutal. But you know what? Skinner's not brutal when you play to his strengths. And playing the Skinner's strengths is by getting the ball into him so he can hold the ball up or so he can flick the ball on. And he's doing that with them boys. And he's got Fitzpatrick who can run off him. And he's got the wide men who are going to make the runs as well. It's working for Glenavon in the attacking sense. It's all about getting that seventh place if they can. And that's not nailed on either. And just push up game by game for Glenavon and keep it going. You just don't know where it's going to be. Gary Hamilton has just got Orrin Kearney's number. He really does. Every time. Breaks my heart. I love Gary Hamilton too. Well, we go from teams who were free-flowing to a team that at times are free-flowing and then at times they have these really strange, tight, trudging results. Paddy McLaughlin said his team will play better and they will lose games like this in the future. I really think... This sums up this game for Cliftonville. They run out 1-0 winners against Carrick, but they needed a 50-50 penalty decision to get the goal. And that last-minute goal for Carrick that got chalked off, that's another conversation altogether. Stuart King was furious in his somewhat contained way that he was, and I very much sympathise with him. However, he talks in it about he felt as though intimidation played a role in both decisions. And I'm talking about the penalty decision being given and not being a corner in that situation. And the fact that Carrick did have the ball in the net, but eventually the linesman did decide that it was an offside. The referee went for it. Do you feel sympathy for Stuart King 
or is this just the nature of the way this league can go sometimes you're failing it one week and then you're disappointed the next there seems to be some sort of something going on with Cliftonville and Carrick it's been building over the last sort of season and a half two seasons turned into a real grudge match so as and I think it comes down to Stuart King because I think he said something last year and the Cliftonville boys took offense to it and from there it's just been this real like bitterness between them um, Saturday passed that was never a penalty no way was that a penalty undecided about the disallowed goal but the penalty uh, I'm not having it what, one thing he kind of highlights in, in the interview is about how he talks about how he feels so the referee spent time making the decision and in that time he was being able to be influenced I want at least in my opinion I don't like that narrative that just because a referee pauses has to think about it that somehow makes the decision he makes less valid the video will show you that Carrick run away from the goal they think they've scored everything's happy and then the Cliftonville players are around the linesman there's a discussion and then the referee decides actually that's not a goal that was offside there was a, a similar situation where he took his time for the penalty but King was happy with how his team played that really counts for nothing Cliftonville are oddly having these performances where they are looking amazing sometimes and then they struggle against these teams where they still get the result but there's signs that they could get caught out one day and so far they've gotten away with it. Cliftonville didn't play well against Corian last week. You know they scored four goals but they didn't have to play well. Corian were shocking which made the scoreline look like it was a pure thrashing but Cliftonville haven't played well this season. You know, they haven't found this, the gear, you know, the gear they had last season where they were creating chances all over the place and scoring goals. And they, they haven't hit that gear this season. They're staying within touch and distance, which is massive for them. You know, what happens What happens when it does click in the gear? When they've come up against the big teams, they got hiding against Lauren, even though there was only one man sent off there. They haven't been able to get that big scalp similar to Coleraine of a top table side and because of that that's why the teams above them are there they've been able to take the points where Cliftonville haven't and let's be fair to them just because they're not blowing teams away doesn't mean they're not still in the title race but I would from an outsider's point of view I would look at it and go I can see when if and when a Dungannon gets a 2-0 result against them or when a team like Balamina sneak a result, I think I'll go, That's that's been coming. And be it some injuries, just not really finding the most efficient way of scoring, or perhaps other teams are starting to figure them out. I, I can't really tell, but for a team that's usually so free-flowing and attacking, they just don't seem to be as clinical up top as they've previously been. McDonough's not in, in form this season. That's, that's big. He's not in form. O'Neill, who wasn't really getting as much game time as he probably would have liked, has gone. Gormley's not getting as much game time as he'd like. McLaughlin just can't find that lineup that's going to start playing champion football. They're not a team that will sit and turn the screw. Some of the top teams like Lauren and Glentoran, they'll they'll squeeze you and squeeze you and squeeze you. Cliftonville aren't the type of team that are gonna let you sit back. They haven't shown consistently. If you park the bus, they're going to find the key every single time. Let's give credit to Carrick. 
they don't come away with the result. But they were unlucky. A note on the decision of offside. It comes from a ball being popped up to Glenn Denning. He heads the ball from the edge of the box. It then goes towards the goal. I believe it's Cherry who's in the six-yard box running across the six-yard box. It doesn't touch him. But it's still he was still in an offside position. I don't think I'm arguing that. But we go back to something we talked at the start of the podcast. Does he influence play? I'm not saying I can see how it was given. I would just suggest on a technicality, I guess I can see he's there and the other player's there. I don't I don't think he's influencing play. I think he's there. If he stood still, would that make a difference? I don't think so. The goalkeeper did do a second take, I think. But in that situation, you need to be getting that ball no matter what if you think he's offside or not. Just because the goalkeeper doesn't really go for it or misses it doesn't make it well, he thought it was an offside, so it must have been an offside. This will just bring that bloody VAR conversation in. They, oh, like, it will. Uh, VAR was here. We'd know, and, and we wouldn't know, and we would, and all this here. But, like, VAR in the Irish League is going to make three cameras, so it'll probably not make much of a difference with offsides. That's the one part of VR from a fan point of view, the offside thing. Just, I, I you know, the toes. I don't think we are going to get into toes and everything with VR light. Can you imagine that in the Irish League? them with wee lines along the pitch and all like it's not going to happen no so what's not not you know what's the point what's the point in 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 the var coming in the irish league if it's not going to take away from them decisions you know that maybe an offside goal decision that's the ones that are that are going to happen more often than any other goal isn't it like well let's jump into the conversation you've opened the can here it's been talked about it's one of the topics that has been talked about in the league VAR light, by all accounts, Northern Ireland has actually been penciled in, and the Irish League has been penciled in for one of the leagues that will trial it. Another word for being a guinea pig, but we'll take it. Perhaps it makes it cheaper for us. The chief executive, Niffle, Jared Lawler, says it's a far way away. What would it look like? Well, it seems as though VAR light, is what we're calling it, would have about two or three cameras, and outside of that, there's not really a big deal of clarity of what it would be. Would it be closer to TMO and rugby? Would it be with a fourth official? Would it be another official sitting there with a wee laptop looking at a stream? It, like As a fan, I look at it and go, right, would it help decisions about crossing the line? Probably. Would it check all those dodgy red cards? Perhaps. Or is it a decision where a referee's sitting on the side and they're going, ref, you need to check this. And in what case would that be? If it helps anybody out there, Mick McDermott is for it. So for all those people that can only make a decision as soon as Mick McDermott's made a decision, he's for it. So hopefully that will make you decide which way you go. Picky, you sound slightly pessimistic. Firstly, the referees want it. That's a fact. I've talked to a few ones. Um, yes, I was talking to Ken Lowry in the summer. It's Stevie and Phillips. Dad. He's a referee. He's sort of big up in the northwest here. Um, he says like there's no doubt it's going to come in, and it is something that the referees want. Um, but what form is it going to take? And that's the big thing. I don't want for. I like football the way it is. I like that we have these controversies to chat about. Will VAR take away the controversies? No, nope. it will probably create new ones. Until we know what it's going to look like, it's very hard to give any proper opinion on it. What's it going to cover? Is it going to cover offsides? I think it'll be very crap at doing it. Is it going to cover contentious decisions in the box? 
Yes, but if you've only one camera angle, what's the point? <laughs> you know what I mean? I would say, and this is only because I have a connection to American football, it feels like that is a thing where certain decisions should be instantly reviewed. It's a red card, it gets reviewed, no matter what. Because that seems to be the thing that everyone complains about. And there's that question of clear and obvious where you can overturn something. I don't want to get into like small minutiae of was his head there, was it not? If there's anything, it can only be changed, the decision on the field changed by something that's clear. But you're right, it's sort of a moot topic because until we know the actual parameters, it's hard to say one way or the other. And even if there's a bit of it where we say, I don't know if I like that, until we see it in practice, we will just not know. We do have one final game to wrap up and it is Linfield going to one of the few places in the world which has been nice and warm and cuddly for them and that's the Newry showgrounds at least when they go there they can get three points Newry made it difficult for them as they did the previous time but alas the quality shone through and it's the connection which Limfield will need to be burning bright if they are to shoot towards the top of the league and if they're to turn this season around McDade and Cooper are going to be key for Linfield. And they were the men that got the goals for them. McDade running on and unleashing a shot down there to get the first goal. And then Cooper looking sharp and bright and snappy in the box to get the to get the other one. Felt very routine. Hard to really judge one way or the other what this means for the next few weeks for either team, really. Peter, I had no doubt that Linfield were going to beat Nuri at the weekend. You just, like, it's Linfield. Linfield aren't going to be poor every week. They're always going to go and do what they do. But you know what? Like I thought McDade was offside for that first goal. He does seem like he just leaves Noel Healy. I feel like he's gotten far more mention in this podcast that it's really fair to. But he leaves just the wing back for an absolute dust. Like I, I mean, I tried to you know pause it, but with with again, we're going to talk about TV cameras here. There's only one angle, so you can't oh. see where where he started his run when the ball was played, but. Once the sort of camera pans to where he's at, he's about three yards in front of any other player. I'm like, I just, I don't know. I thought it could have been offside, but look, he took his chance, didn't he? And and Linfield gave him man he of did. the match on Saturday. You know, is, is this, has Robin McDade arrived now? You know, is this going to be the start of him going on a run of form? It's a real Peter Thompson goal, isn't it? Him just running through. And once he get like that's the one thing about McDade, he hasn't had a whole load of chances where the ball's at his feet. He's looking up. Most times where I've seen these chances where he's either got the goal or people are complaining that he doesn't pull out a worldie and score the goal. It's it's come to him, it's snapped up to him, and both those players, like I said, Cooper and and McDade, worked well. And I feel as though the way Glen Torn have been relying on McMenamin, Linfield are gonna need. Cooper to be the man that drags them through because teams are still going to do deep lines to try and withstand the barrage from themselves and you need a little player like Cooper who has the quality, the skill and the pace to, to break through and we should probably talk about the red card, look it's pretty pretty grim that Nuri got where they go into Cooper, uh, I'm trying to see who the player was but it's just at a hard foot in I think of us watching it live and that's the test you have to do sometimes instant reaction what is it it's a red card and we move on yeah it looked horrible 
it looked like a knee challenge. Like it was really, really aggressive. And oh my goodness, it's a red card. Earlier on, you talked about how when you had your your wee man out and you were taking photographs, then that eventually evolved into doing the videos. It, it reminded me of how I got into the Irish League through my father bringing me there. And so many people have these memories for you as a, as a fan. Was that a thing? Did any somebody from your family bring you to games when you were younger? Or was that a big part of why you wanted to bring your son there? Whenever I was growing up, my parents never took me to football games. Like when I went to play football or Gaelic or whatever as a kid, I was literally, you know, pushed out the door and somebody would collect me and I'd be on my way up the road to go and go to training. Parents, they weren't taking me to training. They weren't watching me and anything like that. Um, as far as going to football games was concerned, my granny lived on the Bushmills Road, which is just around the corner from the Corian Showgrounds. So I used to be there every Saturday watching Grandstand. You ever remember that there? Oh, I do, come on. Not that young. Ah, well, there you go. Show me age. But anyway, my uncle used to come round to the house and he used to say, come on, we'll go round to the showgrounds. So he used to take me round to the showgrounds when I was sort of 10, 11, 12 years old. We used to go in and watch the games. We used to sit in the home stand. And I just, the one thing I remember about back then, well, there's two things. One, the pitch was terrible, which was the same 20-odd years after that. And you used to look across to the shed, they called it. And it was just chaos over there. The two sets of fans, the opposite end, there's a fence between them. And you could see boys climbing off the fence and all. It's the one thing I remember from back then, then I stopped going to games in my teenage years. So it was only sort of in my 20s that I started sort of sporadically going to games. But I was playing football myself, so I couldn't go to a Saturday game anyway. So I'd go to the odd sort of midweek game. And then whenever I stopped playing football altogether, I started going to every game. So about 2017, I stopped playing football. I just started going to all the games. Once the Wayne was old enough, being three years old, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I am going to take him to games because I didn't have that when I was a Wayne. You know, I was like, I want him to go and see the games and, and get into it the way I didn't. So that's more for that there. As an observer, I can tell how much you love sharing that experience with him and how in many ways doing all those vlogs is a way that you can connect and have these memories. I often talk to other people who, who didn't have Irish football when they were younger and I, I think all the memories that I was able to have with my brother and my father going to games, half the time I don't even think football was a big part of it. It was when I was a teenager loving it, but so many key memories and experience for me was, was spending that time with my my father. And I, I don't know when you're, particularly some ages, like teenage years or, or whatever, there's not many things you do with your parents, you know? So that's such a brilliant experience. And I'm sure for you, it's been a great way for you to bond and, and share and, and go to games and do stuff really. Because if it wasn't football, you know, what would it be? Aye, and that's it. Like, I, I love football. You know, I, I live and breathe it. The wife hates me because all I want to do is go to football games or watch it on TV or play it out the back garden. Like, I'm 41 years old, and I go out the back garden and start smashing footballs around. Well, let's talk about the name change. We'll hit on all the bits and pieces. 
picky bandsetters are no more it's just the pickies you've talked about it elsewhere but if people were to go from here and have a hook on your channel what kind of stuff are they seeing and what are you hoping to achieve now with that youtube channel what's the future looking like obviously it's the picky bandsetters which to me and most other people it connected me to Korean which is fair enough because I'm a Korean fan. I go to Korean games, video Korean games. But because I'm going to other things like Gaelic football, League of Ireland, I wanted to change the channel name to something that had a sort of less focused appeal, you know. So I just took the bandsiders off it. I want to go to lower league games, you know. I want to go to the championship games. I want to go to... Premier Intermediate League games and just go around and and show off Northern Ireland football really uh, obviously League of Ireland I've been doing a lot of that and primarily Derry City simply because Derry City is only 35 miles away from the house so like I've gone up to Derry City and it's brilliant like I said this in another podcast the other week it's just there's so much energy in the terraces. It's not even terraces, but you know, in, in the in the stand. Um, the people are so nice to me. They've like literally taken me in. I'm like a, a lost puppy or something. And they've taken me in and they treat me with respect, you know, and I've no emotional attachment to Derry City like I do with Corey in. At Derry City lose, I'm not sulking for two or three days. Corey and lose, I'm like a bear. I'm, don't come near me. But as far as just having fun goes, Derry City is the place to be. League of Ireland's the place to be. Not just Derry City. It's League of Ireland's so much more fun. Um and like Irish League's very like well, I don't know. It's weird. Like you have to go and go to a League of Ireland game or two and go into the stands where they're all going mad to realise like football off the pitch can be so much better. Do you notice a makeup of the fan base is a bit different? Do you think maybe the Friday nights is drawing a, a younger fan base? Because the, the club I follow, I remember I was a big scarves and singing and drum. And I wonder, because you see in the Irish League, I think there's a real dirge between maybe 16, 17, 18, all the way up to maybe 30. There's not a massive selection of people of that age. And it's probably maybe a... a a lower 20s kind of thing do you notice that perhaps League of Ireland games are drawing on more young people because of the time or is it the product now Friday nights it makes sense down there so it does it is good you know you finish your work on a Friday and you, you go to the bar get a few drinks and away you go but um, I've been to games on a Sunday at 2 o'clock and the, the ground's pure lip although it was a semi-final I was in uh, Bally Buffet on Friday night. Finn Harps, they got relegated, right? And what I found weird about it was I went into the bar beside the ground before the game. It was dead. An hour before the game, it was dead. Whereas you go to the bar in Derry City, the bar's absolutely rammed an hour before the game. And they're all banging drums and all in the bar. So there's a cultural difference between Donegal and Derry. So... Is it anything to do with a Friday night and getting lit? I don't know. I suppose it, it probably does have a bit they play on it. But a big thing about League of Ireland is it's played in a different time of year. I think that's massive. 
so many debates here as they're, as they're picky that we're just touching upon very, very Aye, slightly. I don't want to get in deep on them, but I can tell you, it's much nicer going to a football match on a lovely warm evening in June than it is standing the Korean showgrounds in January. Like, I'm there, I was going to games and I was in a t-shirt. Imagine going to the Irish League and wearing a t-shirt for three or four months of the season. I went up there the other week to a match and I had my big warm coat on that I wore the Korean Ballymena match the day before and I was freezing in Ballymena. I wore Baltic. And I was up in, I was up in the Brandywell and I had my jumper off and I was sweating bucket loads. Give me heat, baby. I, I'd rather watch football when it's warm. I, I enjoy it more when it's warm. I don't know who enjoys football on a cold January in the Korean showgrounds with heel beating off your face. And it's not Rory Hill we're talking about. Just because I have you here on it, I have to ask you this question because it's just something I I always wonder about. You go, you're starting to see more teams, not just your own, and you've seen a lot of teams throughout the Irish League and in the League of Ireland. There's Finn Harps. They got relegated from the League of Ireland. There's only 10 teams in that league. Where would you say they would fit based on quality in the Irish League? Would they be home and host safe? Would they be a, a Ballymena or a Glenavon? What's the starter for bottom of the League of Ireland? I've seen Finn Hearts play three times in person this season and they are fighting relegation in the Irish League as well. They were that bad this year. They were terrible. And look, the Finn Hearts fans will tell you that. They know they deserve relegation because they were that bad. I think it's the first time Ollie Horgan hasn't been able to bring in the players that he wanted and they just didn't have a good enough squad throughout the whole season. They were very poor. With so many topics there, we could probably be here all day getting into them, but we'll focus now on the games that are coming up so we can actually get a podcast to finish by the time people can actually listen to this and see what's going down. And Talking about games that happen on Friday nights, we've got two of them this weekend, and we'll start with a Ballymena against Newry. That's a strange one. Not on TV, not for the third week in a row for Ballymena, but they will see Newry come up to the showgrounds. You'd like to think if you are a fan of the Braid Men, this has to be a game where you get three points and really assert yourself as a team that isn't going to get dragged into the bottom. But I don't know about you. I think this is a Nuri win. Oh, I don't mind what I say about Balamina because I get it in the neck from Korean fans and Balamina fans. <laughs> um, I've seen Nuri in person up in Korean and Nuri I didn't think they were any good I've seen Balamina beating Korean I didn't think they were any good um, that's a draw for me Nuri just seems like they have more attacking play I, I almost look at Nuri and I think that's what Balamina could have been they would have got more points but had more strength have more vigor in the middle of that park and they they just don't seem to have that i've said it before nuri's weaknesses are clear their strengths are clear as well and nuri's strengths are getting up getting in your face and looking for that little gap that you leave or being able to force a bit of space out wide and they'll fight and they'll fight and they'll fight and at home on a Friday night, I think Nuri are going to fight and take this. I think it's a 2-0 for Nuri and plummeting the feeling at the showgrounds for Balamina. I think that's a team that's very close to a rebuild and maybe January will be the time when they could fix it and solidify things. But that's a team who feel like they're on shaky ground. 
on the pitch right now and Yuri, I believe, could exploit it. But if you're looking to wrap yourself warm on this Friday evening, then you can watch Who Bought the Friday Night Boys. We go to Inver Park. Lorne host Crusaders, a matchup that I've been really keen on seeing for weeks. Lorne are recovering from a humbling defeat to Glenavon, but when they're welcoming teams into Inver on a Friday night, it's usually it's been a bit of a different story. Could Crusaders keep their good run going and get a result here? Oh, Peter, 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 these games this weekend are so tight, aren't they? They really are. Look at Crusaders without their, their, their key men. They're still being able to get results. Lauren at home generally don't lose. Lauren at home usually put on a show. Lauren will be wanting to show that last week's result was just a wee blip. Neither team are in League Cup action this week, which means they're they're rested. I think Lauren at home win because Lauren at home are just, they're very good. you got Bonus and you got O'Neill both playing well. Like They'll link up, they'll score goals this weekend. The one thing I, I thought looking at that game against Glentoran that Lauren are potentially lacking is a ball carrier, a real dynamic force in that midfield. <laughs> Strangely enough, and I've talked about it before, I think they had to choose between a certain selection of players and, and the ones that they brought in and ultimately Lynch was the player that wasn't in their basket. But you look at the way Lynch plays for Korean and I think that's the type of player they can have. They don't have a, a Cooper or a McMenamin who does really have a McMenamin at this point. But and perhaps that's just not the way they play. It's not their formation. They play with these wing-back, wide-man type thing. But the one thing Crusaders have is these wide men from Ross Clark to now Macaulay Snellgrove's finding his role. He's kind of small. He's like a Jordan Stewart-esque type guy, but he's he's fast. He's hardworking. He's dogged. I think, actually, after Lauren getting a draw, after being down a man at Seaview, I'm going to go for Crusaders here. Lecky probably will feel a bit down for missing that penalty. And Crusaders are a lot better at home. But be it the wide players or or Lecky getting the goal, I think Lauren will not come out of the traps quite quick. Crusaders will get a goal in the first half and, and perhaps they'll just be able to turn the screw and get the game. I'm only going to go for what probably would be seen as the upset and go for Crusaders. Will there be an upset though down at Taylor's Avenue when your boys call rain, go to Carrick Rangers? Something I didn't say earlier on in the podcast is that Curtis Allen for Crusaders had to come off after hurting his ankle. Will he be back? Cushley had to come off. These are experienced but key cogs in that team. Every year the wheels seem to come off for Carrick. Could this be the time it happens? Corey and I put away Carrick every time they played them more or less. They drew last season 0-0 in a game which was probably one of the worst games I've ever been at. But Corey and they generally beat Carrick. It doesn't matter who Carrick have lining out for them and how hard they play. Corian are smarter. I fancy Corian to beat Carrick. If Carrick have them injury doubts, that will also play in the Corian's hands. And Corian will probably start the same way as they started the weekend pass against Portadown with the two up front. They did it last year against Carrick with Big Skinner coming into the team and they put them away. So I can't see Corian having too many problems. I, honestly, I can't. You were able to get it done when you went to Taylor's Avenue earlier on in the season. I, I remember hearing you 
earlier on this year talking about how perhaps that artificial surface up at the Korean showgrounds perhaps doesn't suit this team. Have you noticed perhaps this is a team that plays better on the the muggy pitches and there's fewer well changeable pitches there's fewer changeable pitches in this league than the one at Taylor's Avenue is that perhaps a a better game for them I know I think in a in a game like one you'll have at Taylor's Avenue you know what you're going to get from the pitch you know what it's going to be like so you can set your team up accordingly that's why I think Corian will play with two off front I think they'll go a bit more direct you know and they'll have James McLaughlin there and he'll he'll be that physical presence or the, the foil, so to speak, for Shevlin, you know. Oh, oh. Shevlin bagged a couple of goals or was involved in them previously. I think he will be again against Carrick Rangers. I'm going to suggest that's going to be a 2-1 win for Cole Rain. A game that should have a bunch of goals. Glenavon are the team that has to go up to Solitude. How many red cards are you predicting here, Piggy? <laughs> oh, red cards? Hey, uh... Nah, there's Glenavon are all right now. There's no more red cards of them boys, is there? They've went to a program. They've went to red card anonymous, and they've decided they're going to change their change their world. But all eyes on maybe a, a Danny Wallace <laughs> or a Robbie Gart coming back into the team. I am going to say after all the talk that I said of. Well, you know, Cliftonville, sometimes they're looking shaky. Sometimes, unless they're absolutely free-flowing, they're either stuttering or they're in this free-form, beautiful football. Almost every game Glenavon have been in recently, they're conceding loads and scoring loads. I'm going to say 4-2 Glenavon. Wow. <laughs> this is the game where finally Cliftonville fall on their sword at Solitude. Nah, I'm not having that, Peter. No way. Glenavon scoring four goals at Solitude. That's not going to happen. When's the last time Glenavon scored four goals away from home? That's true. They, they were getting goals away at Linfield and, and, and Crusaders. That's where I'm starting to believe in this Fitzpatrick. I'm going to write a note here. Remember to stick Fitzpatrick in my fantasy team. They're, they're putting things together. and We talked about how nippy and unpredictable Glenavon can be. If, if Glenavon turn up, I think they can get a result. If Glenavon beat Cliftonville, will be surprised. I think they can get a, I think they can draw against Cliftonville. Are they good enough to beat Cliftonville? I don't know. Cliftonville are too, they're too street for that to, to, to lose at home against a team in the bottom half of the table. There's no way Paddy McLaughlin's team loses to a team in the bottom half of the table at home. Hear that, everybody? Hear people in the future? Hear what he said? I'm, I'm gonna clip this up. It's probably not going to go this way, but I'll clip it up anyway out of absolute badness. No, that's fair to say. Let's actually, if we were to say a shock, let's do these two games together. What would be the bigger shock this weekend? Dungannon going to the Oval and getting anything that's not a loss or Portadown getting a result against Limfield at home? <laughs> I, I, I know the answer is, well, both Belfast teams win, all right? But... If you turned on your radio on Saturday, what would have your jaw on the floor more? A result for Dungannon or a result for Portadown? The bigger shot would be Dungannon getting a result. Just because they're away from home? Yeah, and Portadown have shown before that they can, on their day, hold the big teams to, to something at Shamrock. You know, like Curiel have had two more training sessions with them and who knows, he might have brought them in for an extra one. God knows, surely to God, in the space of time, he will just be working on defensive shape for them two sessions. 
you know how like in Saturday football, let's say people are being quite loose with registration. Will there be some random six foot eight boy turning up with Lee Upton's shirt on saying, you're right, boys. You're like, are you Lee Upton? I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Here, it'll be, it'll be like Shields last season at Dungannon every week. He had a new signing and like Moshney, mind he used to play for Rangers. He came from nowhere next thing. He's yes. centre-back for them. Okay. How many goals do you think Glen Torn will win against Dungannon? Uh, I think they'll win four or five easily. And then are you giving any hope? Are you buying a ticket for the Curry roller coaster and... Nah, you know what? Is it going to end well? You know what? <laughs> Linfield won the game by the odd goal, I think. I think it's one of them ones. You know, you know what it's like? You've seen it so many times that Porta Down just gets stuck in, make it hard to get beat, and then get brokenhearted at the end. I totally agree. I think this is going to be Linfield score early, Porta Down or nothing, all of a sudden a weird quarter or something happens at Shamrock Park and Porta Down think all we need to do is hang on for 10 minutes and then there's a penalty or there's just the weirdest goal ever and McDade's running away, getting the three points, getting out of jail for Linfield. 2-1 Linfield, I'm actually going to say that it's going to be 1-0 Glentoran. I think they'll be dominant but not been able to get too many goals. Maybe one of those early goal games and then... They just never have to do too much and never get out of second or third gear. And pretty much, we're predicting status quo, bar my uh, mad Glenavon suggestion. Picky, thank you so much for joining me this week. You're a man I've wanted on for a while. Uh, you also stepped into the breach last minute after I had to shuffle things around. Have you enjoyed the past year and a half where all of a sudden you were a fan, you were a man who was playing football for teams lower down have you enjoyed the fact that now all of a sudden you're a commentator you're a, a media personality no no and I, I, I'm being honest with this I'm just me and I'd like to just be treated as me and I know that's not the way it works because I put myself in the spotlight I've left myself open for praise abuse and whatever but I'm still just me and people sort of I hope people like realise that they're that I am just a football fan going to games. I put myself in the spotlight, but I'm still me. That also brings up the little topic of gatekeepers. What does it mean? Who who are the people that get to have these comments and thoughts and, and feelings about football? Like on this podcast, I've had a lot of journals on just because they're someone that knows various teams across the league. And the more I've done it, the same way where the likes of, of Beckham and Bailey and all these people have, have given me, McIntosh have given me opportunities thinking, who's this random boy talking nonsense? In turn, I I think you're a real proof in case where we're all just fans at the end of the day and we all just have opinions and thoughts and clearly you've got something where people want to watch and want to engage and, and see your experience. And I think that's why you have a fan base that... that goes across the league yes you'll probably have more people from Derry and, and from Corian watching you because they want to see the results of the games but I know lots of people who will see did you see what what Piggy did this week and I'm like you're a Glenavon fan like they weren't even playing Glenavon and they're watching you as a fan getting to it and you know what I, I do not think I think uh, you will not be the first I think we'll see when you see the way social media will go if this league is going to grow it's it is going to be through social media. It's going to be through people like yourself putting content online. There'll be many others 
that will follow in your footsteps. I'm just waiting for the first Irish League player to do it. I'm waiting for the first Ben Foster type person to be, hey, how's it going? I'm here training for Balamina and I'm, you know, 22 years old and I vlog every aspect of my life. Aye, but is there any clubs that would allow their player to do that in the Irish League? Like, Glentoran wouldn't. There's not a hope Mick McDermott allows a player to do it. I know Corey M wouldn't do it. Kearney likes to keep the book closed and nobody can see what's going on with his players. You know, David Healy would not allow it with his players. This is fascinating because I think he would actually be, whoever this person is, would be more valuable than a club than they know. If if there was a player, because I envisage a young player coming through who is a bit of a TikTok person, a bit of a YouTube, Instagram person, and ultimately they, in this fantasy that I'm thinking up, they will have a young fan base and they'll be going through their journey, but will be fascinated about how they progress in their career. And I, I think the forward thinking clubs will think there's a way to work around here. And the same way you'd see how big stars in like of basketball and American football, you'd see not in the best kind of way from the way we look at football, but people will support teams based on the personalities. There's going to be someone, whoever it is, and they're going to play for Carrick or Balamina or something, and you'll see all of a sudden, where are these 200 young people turning up to games to support Dan Ashworth or whatever they're called? I'm surprised clubs aren't doing it themselves. I think it's a brilliant idea. And I do think the likes of Lauren, for some reason, Lauren just strikes me as the club where you could have a player that does it. Maybe it's because of their whole academy set up that they're really, really pushing at the minute that they could have somebody coming through, like young fella Lusty or someone, you know? Yeah. It, look, it has to be the right personality. They'll want to do it. And it even highlights more to me from a local point of view where we've just recently had a new Blue Peter presenter come from Bangor who's like a musician, TikTok. I'm not a TikTok person, but... They built themselves on social media. Adam B, who does YouTube videos a lot for a really younger audience, but he was a, a Blue Peter presenter. And I just see how there could be someone that's like, hey guys, I'm going to do the crossbar challenge with Albert Watson. And it might take five years. It may take a couple of years, but whatever club sees the potential for the... Like, see with Watford and, and Ben Foster and the whole fallout about that. I'm surprised because if he if he was to sign for a club, Ben Foster right now, he's bringing fans to that club, and it's just another way of social media. So you're right, Lauren are probably doing it with little profiles. Keep your eyes on it. Keep your eyes on it for sure. Peter, to be honest, with you, it's something that I wanted to move into myself. I had this whole big plan before this season that I was going to do like an Irish League magazine show where every week I go to a different club and go into training and maybe you know do crossbar challenge with Joe Gormley or film training and that. And then I realised, I have a full-time job. <laughs> yes, like that. <laughs> Honestly, God, like, and, like, I was doing history videos of that, their various league clubs, and back work full-time, all of a sudden, I'm like, when am I going to fit these in? It's so hard to do. The people who are doing all these YouTube and England, all this, their full-time job. They're making money out of it. I mean, that, that's another podcast for you where you can talk to me about how much money I do not make from this. I do not make a penny. Any money that I get from YouTube basically pays for me petrol. You've stuck at it. You clearly have an audience. 
And I, I know you're saying about the negative reaction you got from some people. I, I always see it as a bit of that Northern Irish thing where it's a who do people think they are and, and everybody has to be targeted as I don't know, some sort of vanity stuff. One thing I, I must commend you for is you get those up quickly. You really do spend the time to get that out and done. You know, the amount of times I sit here and I about to edit this podcast and i go oh does it have to be out tomorrow can i just take my time like and that's video like the, the work you put in is, is great and in this new well not new current digital age you're you are reaping the benefits and it's uh it's been great to chat to you one final plug where can people see your stuff obviously you're on twitter as well as youtube and the like twitter tiktok youtube instagram just search for the peakies and there's more than one piggies on these things that I just found out, but um, you'll see you'll see my face and uh, Oshin's face in the wee picture. I appreciate you taking time. I wish you all the best on this new phase of it, and uh, no doubt I'll chat to you soon. All right, thanks, Peter. Big props to Mr. Peaky. He is a guy that I'm sure many of you know. You watch his videos. I have as well, and. I must admit, him doing his stuff over the past year and a bit really has inspired me in many ways to give this a go as this was only a, a random glint and idea in my head. Oh, hi, dream this summer. What would it be like if I could tell people, you should follow me online. You can follow me by going to Kicking Match on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. But hold on, that isn't a dream. It's a mere nightmare for you. If I can maybe add that little nightmare fuel, you know what's coming up next. Maybe you'd want to speak out. Speak to the spirits. Ask your smart speaker. Hey, play some of that podcast I listen to every once in a while. When I remember, I see it posted online. And you'll go, I know what I'll say. Dear smart speaker, please play Kicking Match, an Irish League podcast. And I'll even say my little themed episode title and all. You've been here before. I'm sure you have. Thank you very much. Enjoy your games if you see them. Uh, give Picky a wee follow. Give him a hook. Give me a hook if you want to online. Maybe there'll be some drama and I'll do a space. Until then, bon voyage, cheerio, a fond adieu.